This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller. The Miller Report is a weekly podcast hosted by WABC. We talk to business leaders and real estate professionals about real estate because real estate is the oxygen, the glue that keeps all cities, particularly this one, thriving. I feel so grateful about all the dynamic, influential leaders that have been on this podcast. Together, we are rebuilding New York City. Today, we have someone I consider a fundamental figure in real estate. He's an attorney, a real estate broker, a man who was raised by a real estate icon. He is philanthropic. He heads up one of the most successful real estate teams in New York. He handles new developments and top exclusive properties. Welcome, Michael Lorber, to the Miller Report. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Michael, I hear this is your first podcast. That's so fantastic. This is my first podcast, my first time at a radio station. A lot of firsts. Oh my God, I'm so excited to, to have you here and, and hear about all that you have to tell us about real estate. Michael, before I begin, your team has closed over $1 billion, like $1 billion in sales under your leadership. You're a practicing attorney. You're involved in multimedia productions I've watched. And you do it all with such grace and ease. Just tell us, what's the secret? Well, I'm not a a practicing attorney anymore. I still keep up my license, but I don't really practice. So don't please don't come to me for uh, legal (laughs) advice. You know, I just always wanted to be in real estate. And I love the business. It's funny because I wanted to be a developer, but I became a broker. It's usually the other way around. People become brokers and then become developers. But I'm happy where I am. Don't you think that having the law be behind you really helps you close deals because you could anticipate the issues and the questions. No, exactly. Having a legal background, and some of our best brokers have legal backgrounds, um, Noble Black, and I'm sure there's others at Douglas Solomon. But going to law school was a great experience. And then I actually got a master's in real estate afterwards at NYU. I don't know if I was delaying the, the workforce or just wanted to learn everything first. But having the law background, it's amazing because being a real estate broker, you are a part lawyer, part decorator, part architect, part therapist. You have to do it all. So I know that you were raised by a real estate icon, Howard. Sure. And everybody knows Howard Lorber. He is yes. synonymous for the word real estate. But when did you realize that you that, that this was in your blood and you were going to go into this field? Well, it's funny. My dad, you know, always dabbled in real estate. And as a kid, we were both, I was obsessed with it. He was obsessed with it. And on Sundays when kids went to Little League, I went to open houses with my dad. <laughs> and he didn't buy Douglas Elliman till I believe 2003. So I was already actually in law school at the time. But I had spent summers working for the biggest developers in New York who may or may not have been president recently. <laughs> and I just always wanted to go into real estate. And then I went to law school, grad school, and I found myself as a broker, finally. And it was uh, not what I thought I'd do with my life, but I can't think of anything better. Well, you're certainly doing a great job at it, and thank, thank you. you. And again, thank you for coming on this podcast, because we have so many questions. I hope we can cover it all. I hope to answer them all. So let's talk about the real estate market. Let's talk about the current state of the market. Nobody knows. Like, really, right. nobody we knows really what's going on. really have no idea on. what's going on. Nobody has any idea. Like, <laughs> right. what's going on in New York? What's going on in the Hamptons? Every month we think rates can't go any higher, but somehow they do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's just talk about New York for a minute, because this okay. is mostly a New York show. Of course. So- We understand that the prices are not really come down, but there's not a lot of of transactions going on. Right. Why do you think I, it can't just be interest rates because there's a lot of cash out there. So why is it so why is there so little deals happening? Well, that is the misconception, I think with all this research is that because we're always comparing it to the year before and the year before that. Yes, we've had some crazy, amazing years because of the pandemic. But if you look at 
the amount of deals happening, it's about normal. And yes, prices have remained the same. I think the average apartment in New York City just you know is hovering around two million dollars. I think when I started in the business, it was a million dollars or something like that. You know, people, not everyone can move to Florida. And that's the biggest like conversation. Everyone thinks they're moving to Florida. And every time you sell your apartment, the days on market do, you know, extend a little longer right now. And yes, rates are affecting every single buyer, no matter what you do, because you just think, oh, rates are down. That you know eliminates a lot of the market, you know, the potential customers out there. But the real estate in New York City is still so strong. It's like the lifeblood of the economy here. I mean, you look around the city, yes, there's less construction than there used to be, but that's for other reasons, because costs are so high. But there are still so many, still a record amount of real estate transactions happening, especially, shockingly, in the high luxury market. You know, there's still 20 million, 30 million, 50, 80 million dollar deals done in New York City. And then people ask like, wait, someone's moving to New York City? Yes. New York City is amazing. Who's buying? You know, we lost a lot of our international customers, obviously, over the past few years, but they've come back, right? We don't have, you know, these Russian oligarchs right now, but Chinese buyers have come back. South Americans have come back. And just people upgrading, people moving here, people still... Shockingly, people don't believe it, but people moved to New York City. Listen, but Michael, we lost uh, 500,000 people, so right. I, it's not like that's – no. this but is not, not my imagination. <laughs> but there's not 500,000 more empty apartments. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Obviously, people are still moving here. And people maybe downsize. People upsize, you know, upgrade to bigger apartments as their families grow. And we're seeing a lot of that. You know, we're seeing less inventory put on the market because there's less construction right now. You know, I look – you know, you read, you know, all these billionaires' row buildings and – Kathy Clark, who's amazing at the Wall Street Journal, has her new book out this week about Billionaire's Row. And you know, you have all these super tall buildings that have been built in the past 10 years. And there aren't any on the horizon right now to be built next. So I think that also engages a sense of urgency that if I'm going to have this amazing apartment in New York, like now's the time to buy it. There's not something being built because assemblage, construction, everything is so expensive now. You have to sell it, you know, $10,000 a foot or something like that. Before we we went on the air, we talked about, I think it was a really good point. You said that New York might be a second home buyer where you're going to be more like Pieter Terres. Even if people leave, they will be in New York. I think that's a great point. Tell us about that. You know, it's one of my dad's big talking points, and obviously I believe it for many reasons, that New York City will then become the number one second home market. You know, if you live in California, you live in London, you live in Miami, you're going to then have still a place in New York City. New York City is still the heartbeat of the world. It's still the greatest city, and I think probably... Still one of the safest cities in New York. You look at what's happening in Chicago and San Francisco and L.A. New York City is still a wonderful place to live. And, I mean, just to even raise a family, our schools are the best. You look at South Florida, which, hey, has the great taxes and great climate, but there's not as many schools. There's not uh, as many I, I'm opportunities. I'm going to disagree with you on that, Michael, because really? I know that you're Douglas Elliman. You can't politically say anything. But with all these incomers, the schools are going to be stressed. In the South sco- Florida, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, not in as New York, schools. the schools are going to oh, be stressed saying. with a lot of people that are taking up these hotel rooms and all the migrants and there's just no room. There's just no room for them to go to school. That's right. my opinion. Yeah. But I mean, I think still you look at the Upper East Side, there's probably still a waiting list to go to some of these schools. I think mm-hmm. it's still competitive private. like anything else. Yes, private schools, right. which in the high-end market, that's what we have to look at right. as an indicator. So where do you think the deals are in New York? I've always been a firm believer that the best deals, especially lately, are obviously any apartment that needs work. No one wants to do any construction. Everyone wants to move in. So the Upper East Side, any apartment that needs work and is a cooperative apartment, which, hey, 75% of New York City is still cooperative. You have work rules. You have financing restrictions. Those apartments are the best deals. You can buy, you know, you're looking at stuff back to like $1,000 a foot. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, but yes, you may have to wait a year to get your sub-zero refrigerator or uh, your flat screen TV maybe. 
I don't know if there's delays on that, but definitely on appliances. And those are the best deals. So if you're looking to, uh, you know, go into a three-bedroom or four-bedroom on the Upper East Side, now is a great time to buy. And is everybody lot- listening? Yeah. Upper East Side <laughs> that needs work. Are you going to get a co-op? No one wants to do work. It's it's also, even in a great economy, even in a booming time, construction's still a pain in the butt. Oh, yeah, and it's No one up. wants to do it. Right. So costs are so high. I work with amazing contractors, like Lee Stolt, the renovated home, and he's done my personal homes. There are contractors there that will tell you who help you figure what to do and what not to do. You don't need to gut everything. People walk into one of my listings, oh, it's a complete gut. No, it's not. You know, you don't, you know, you need imagination. And so many buyers lack that. And that's what my job is, to help buyers see past the, uh, you know, 1985 tile on the kitchen floor. Like, there's ways around this. So let's switch to rentals for a minute because it's a big buzzword these days. The rentals were so robust. And now I'm starting to see owners are paying fees again. There's inventories climbing. What do you see about rentals in New York? It's so funny. Like during the pandemic, you couldn't give away a rental. Then rentals got so hot. Right. And like I think the average rent now was like $4,000 a month. Rentals in New York City are always going to be strong. And it's funny. There's always an interesting time. Like when people graduate college, like May, June, we're so busy. And then when the school year starts, August, September, that's always when rentals start. So we're always seeing those little shifts up and down. So it really depends what time of year you're looking at rentals. But it's actually still hard to find a good rental in New York City. You know, it's so really hard. do you think it's softening? I think a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think it needed to. I think so, too. And I think that people were p- that were paying these high rents will start to purchase. What do yeah, you think about I that? I hope so. Well, <laughs> I hope yeah. everyone purchases. But, <laughs> I mean, yes, my business, I, hey, do you want to sell an apartment or do you want to rent one? As a broker, I always right. want to sell someone an apartment. But we love working with rentals, but it is tricky. And then a lot of times, you know, I can't tell you how many times I get these emails. I need a three-month sublet. It's, like, so hard to find Send short-term. Send to Empire State Properties. That's what yeah. we do, Michael. But it's sometimes so hard to find a good short-term sublet in New York you City. You have Empire. Well, they want these, like, high-end buildings. And any condo board won't do less than 12 months, mm-hmm. you know. It gets very tricky. But so, rentals, obviously, in other markets are challenging, like, you know, Eastern Long Island. So it's let's hard. talk about that. Okay, let's talk about so the Hamptons. let's talk about that because I want you to be candid because— okay. I see it. Yes. I've been out there for 27 years, and it's uh, these brokers are crying. What do you see? What's going on in the Hamptons? I mean, I think inventory is not great right now. And people have to remember that during the pandemic, a lot of people bought houses that didn't even need them, or they saw them online. People bought houses they never even saw in person. And then summer 21, everyone was crazy. You, had, you couldn't find a rental in the Hamptons. Then last summer happened, people were able to go to Europe. People, uh, kids went back to camp. People were doing different things. They were spent the past year in the Hamptons. They wanted to change. So the rental market last year was uh, suffering. And this summer, unfortunately, has been really challenging. There are a lot of houses that have mm-hmm. not been rented. You can get a great deal right now if you mm-hmm. want to rental. And so many of my friends, my clients, want to rent out their house. You know, right. everyone, everyone has a summer house right. out there. They want those two weeks of rental income. You know, it's tax-free. If you do it under 14 days, it's a great opportunity for a, you know, a homeowner. It covers their entire you know, cost of owning this house. And by August, maybe you're sick of being in the Hamptons. And the traffic's crazy and kids are back from camp. But it's hard to rent them out. And people are really struggling with that right now. So I tell everyone, if you're looking to go, I mean, Europe is so expensive, airfare, hotels, everything. If you even get a place, go to Long Island for two weeks, get a great rental. You can cook at home. You don't need to go to the restaurants. It's a great time to rent in the Hamptons. So what percentage do you think it went down? You know, what prices or inventory? I mean, inventory obviously went up. The price for a rental, what percent do you think went down? I don't think the prices went down. I just think inventory has plummeted. I think just sometimes people just don't rent out their house. No. So if I want to, if I last year I got a hundred thousand for my house, what am I going to get this year? Right. Because there's so much inventory. Right. Yeah. Do. Maybe you're getting, you know, eighty. I'm thinking fifty. No, I don't think it's gone down fifty percent. But on I, rentals. 
You think that much? I was going to say, you know, 25%. So it's funny. Like I rented out a friend's house around the corner for 110 grand for two weeks in August. And we did that two months ago. Cause I think people right after Easter, you know, that spring break, people in New York city start to start thinking, Oh, okay. My next vacation, the summer kids, what am I going to do? And there's a big uptick when people start thinking about Long Island after their, you know, warm weather vacations and people start to rent and then it kind of slows down in May and June because they figured out what they're doing. So right now it's a little slow, but then it'll start picking up again because people start thinking about their August vacation and what they're doing. And if they haven't booked Europe, they know they can always go to the Hamptons. And we're not seeing the huge sales like we saw two years ago. I mean, you know, we had so many like hundred million dollar sales in the Hamptons or not so many, but you know, a handful. We haven't really seen any huge transactions so far this year. Do you think that is a reflection of New York because it's so close to New York? I think it's so many people are leaving or do you think it's because of the inventory. I really don't believe so many people are leaving. Not everyone They're going could to just, Florida. But not everyone could really go to Florida. We all say like, oh, they went to Florida. They went to Florida. It's like saying everyone in California went to Texas. Yes, a lot of people have. And, you know, I totally understand it. But moving out to the Hamptons has still been, you know, it's hard for a lot of people to move out there full time. You, you know, you can't. The schools aren't there for everyone. It's a big change. It's the same thing after 9-11. A lot of people just packed up, moved to the Hamptons. Right. And they didn't all stay. But so I, this could be, I think, I, I personally think that at the last minute around August, we'll, we'll see an uptick. Yeah. Because people will do it, they, they will come there at the last minute, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But what about sales prices after the summer's over or if they haven't rented their house? That might be a good time for people to buy. Well, I think the Hamptons, much more than some other markets, is affected by interest rates. So if you bought a house two years ago, mm-hmm. I bought my house two years ago, and I was able to get a mortgage for two and a quarter. I mean, you're not selling your house. You can't. Right. You have to keep that rate as long as you can. So even if I'm looking to upgrade, I can't. So right. I have to maybe add on to my house if I want to increase value or have a change. But of course, construction's so high, but not like it was two years ago out there. And a lot of those people, you know, are kind of not going to sell right now. And so you're looking to buy, your rates are high, but it's still so, it's still a market where you can rent out your home and carry it. You know, in New York City, you buy a $5 million apartment, you're not renting it out. But you buy a $5 million house in the Hamptons, okay. I'll rent it out in August and maybe that covers my entire year mortgage, my taxes, my landscaping bill, all that. So some people are, are you know, happier to do that because they know they can rent it out. And buying a house, you know, everyone looks at a house now, I have to make money on it. You can't buy every house where you're going to live with your family or your primary home thinking, I'm going to make money on it. Yeah, you shouldn't lose money, but I don't think my parents, when they were my age or, you know, going back, bought their home because... They were going to make money. They used it because they bought it because they wanted to be in the school district or their friends were there or it was close to work. Or they bought their second home because they loved the beaches. They loved the town. They loved the weather. And that's why you went there is about lifestyle. Yes, it's great to make money and everything. But your home is a much more comfortable investment because you don't go on, you know, your app every day and see what it is like a stock. You can't look at that. People go on Zillow. And Z- my estimate says my house is 10 percent less than it was. And you can't go by that. You live in it. You enjoy it. It's the long, it's the long play. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, I agree. And, and real estate. And people will, are like, oh, I bought my house for a million on myself for one, too. Okay, but you know you got to pay us 5%. <laughs> you got to do this, da, 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 legal fees. You know, not everyone's making, you see all these huge upticks and people selling houses in Palm Beach for, they bought it for 5 million, then they're selling it for 7 million. They didn't pocket $2 million. You can't look at everything like that. Yeah, I think you have to buy it because you believe in it and yeah, it's a long play. Exactly. So let's just move for a minute to talk about the commercial market in New York. I know it's not necessarily- It's definitely not my expertise. I know, it's, so I'm going to be very quick about it, okay. but I just I want your take on, with all the commercial vacancy, how mm. much do you think it's going to affect the residential market? 
You know, I think it is obviously a huge trend, work from home, and even if you're in the city. And it's affected so many places. Like right here where we are, my favorite restaurant went closed, uh, the, the Houston's, the Hillstone, mm-hmm. right here in the Citibank building. Because I don't think they don't have their after work bar hour anymore. Can't they, get staff. Right. You can't get staff. And I think a lot of people aren't going to the office and then going downstairs for a drink at five, six o'clock. And it's just changed our whole way of living. And I think offices will continue to, you know, be less and less a part of our lives. But you read about all these new buildings being built that Related's doing and Hudson Yards and all this and new amenities that office buildings are having that maybe try to draw people in and more flex workspace. But the hardest thing for me is like when you go up and down Madison Avenue and you see all these empty storefronts. Yeah. It's so it's so discouraging. We talked before we we started about the hotels, and that was really a good point, too, is that we're not seeing the hotel business. We're not seeing new hotels being built. And New York City is still, I mean, it's got the best restaurants, museums, Broadway. I mean, people all over the world still want to come visit New York City, but there's no exciting hotel experience anymore. How are we going to get the companies back? (laughs) I don't know how to get them back. Because if we get the companies back, then they'll start to travel, and the hotels will will fill up. Well, hotels have always been interesting to me in New York City, because over the past, you know, let's say 20 years, so many hotels have been bought and converted to residences. And yeah, maybe they had low ceilings, but you look at the Mayfair, which became 610 Park Avenue, the DeMonico, Trump Park Avenue, the Helmsley Carlton is now the Carlton House, the Mayflowers, 15 CPW, the Plaza. So many great, iconic New York hotels have been kind of closed. We still don't have the Four Seasons on 57th Street open. The only new hotel I can really think of being built or open the past five years in this area is the Amman, which is a very boutique brand and, you know, very, very expensive and has $75 million apartments. And the Waldorf is still under construction. That'll be exciting when that reopens because that'll really be kind of like the heartbeat of the city here Mm -hmm. in 50th and Park. But that's, you know, a long construction project. It's a square block. And obviously Douglas Hellman's doing the sales there and it's super exciting. But we just don't have the hotels that we need anymore. And it's been like this for a while. And I have clients come to the city. Where do you tell them to stay? There's not many. Do you think it's because the companies are not here and a lot of people are leaving? I mean, some companies are here, but Facebook closed. Google is still here. Right. I don't think they're closing, but I think we need more of those companies. Yeah, how do we absolutely. get them? Absolutely. We want as many companies as possible. Yeah. I don't know how to get them. I think New York is always going to be amazing and it's a long play. And I think we're in a little, you know, interesting time right now. But I mean, I still, I love our NYPD and our fire department and they do such an amazing job and it's the hardest job in the world. I mean, how many people do you know that want to become police officers? It's too scary now. How sad that she resigned yesterday. Yeah. Very, so very this interesting is, We time. need to have give the police need, housing. Yeah. I mean, we need more police. Obviously, we always want more police officers and everything. Mm-hmm. But I still feel New York City is so safe. You know, I, I always say I walk my dog at 10 o'clock on Park Avenue and I feel safe. Yes, it's Park Avenue. But you don't see policemen on the streets. Not like I used to. No. No. You know, I, I was saying last night, I saw like, like I used to see during the pandemic, a group of like 30 motorcycle dirt bike ATV riders going up Park Avenue, going through every red light. No one wants to stop them, you know, and it's scary. Yeah, so we have to fix that. We're going to yeah, do that we have together. A lot, we have a lot of problems we have to we fix. We have a lot of work to do, Michael. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's already like the infrastructure is here for us. This mm-hmm. is New York City. Best city it's in the world. The best city in the world. It's funny. I used to like hate spending weekends in the city. Now, you know, it's fun again. All the restaurants are so booming. That's yes. one thing no one talks about is, oh, everyone's leaving. Da, da, da. There's no hotels, no office space. We have so many restaurants and private clubs and all these exciting things opening and nightlife. And you can't get into some of these restaurants. Good luck going to a polo bar tonight. You know, it's if, if New York's dead, why is it so hot? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because what's happened is, like, let's say a half a million people left it. My numbers are pretty accurate. Right. And they Out were of 12 million. Okay, so they were replaced by, let's say, a quarter of a million younger 
people. Right. But the issue is that they are not making the same money as the older course, people were. So yeah. who's paying 35% of our I budget? I they have credit card debt. Well, exactly. <laughs> 35% of our budget comes from real estate taxes. Yeah. And these developers are not building. Well, so if, a, if you're a developer, why would you want to? It's really hard to build in New York now. You have to own your land so cheap. Mm-hmm. You don't have, you know, back when I started the business, okay, a new condo on 2nd and 3rd, 1st Avenue, it had a 421A tax abatement. So you knew the first 10 years, your real estate taxes were so low and it was so great. And then year 10, there was always a dip in the value of the apartment because the abatement was gone. But your acquisition costs right now, and I'm not a developer, I know nothing about this, but your acquisition costs and your construction costs are so astronomical. I mean... It's really, you got to be uh, really an amazing person to build in New York City right now. And, so how do we And so that? it's so expensive. I don't mean, a tax payment would be nice. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I think that we I mean, to- I can't, you can't, you could can make a tax payment. I can't lower construction costs. I can't, mm-hmm. you know, you can't, obviously real estate brokers are always going to charge what they charge, but- but you're a voice, Michael, and you are handling so yeah. much new developments, and I think you could really- but there are be- still some amazing new developments, but- you know, you look at uh, downtown, there's so many, you know, you don't see the billionaire road buildings right now, mm-hmm. but you know, they're still selling. You have 217 West 57th Street. I've done a few deals at, and you know, they're selling every week. There's a $20 million apartment being sold there. So it's not like everyone's like, oh, no one's moving to New York and apartment market's dead. There's huge deals every week in New York City. But I'm talking about new development and why, yeah. how we're going to get the developers to build so that they yeah. could start spending some taxes. I mean, I think we got great zoning, obviously, in the past 10 years, which is how we got these super tall buildings. Yeah, the tax uh, tax incentive would be nice. Yeah, That's what started all this great construction back in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s in New York City. That's when the, I mean, the condominium boom really happened for us. You know, maybe it started like the first original condos, like the original like trio there of Museum Tower, Olympic Tower, and Trump Tower in the 50s and Fifth Avenue. Those were like the pioneers of it all, and especially for mixed use, you know, retail, office, and con- and residential. It was a groundbreaking um, concept, and now it's kind of standard. But they all had tax abatements. You know, so, whoever listening, or whatever we could do, yeah, to whatever get we that could back, do to get tax abatements, we, we gotta get tax. We gotta. Get I bought my, when I bought my. It was my second apartment on a 51st and 1st, you know. Yeah, you got this great, ta- you had a great tax abatement. So it's the 421A that we yeah. need to get renewed. And I understand that this year, just uh, last week, Kathy Hochul turned it down. It's not yeah. in the budget. I mean, obviously, we don't talk about anymore is the mansion tax that passed. That was a real, you know, kick in the gut to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe, you know, because it was always 1% on over a million. And, you know, you always have these apartments for 999000 And now it staggers up to, you know... Almost four percent, five percent. You know, over twenty-five million. You're hitting a high number there, and it has hurt everyone. But then, you know, California has it now, and they were looking to make what fifty-six million or something, and they made three million. And <laughs> you know, California is very uh, scary market. Also, and not everyone can move to Texas. Also, but there are still huge transactions in LA. But it's um, it's you know, it's had the kind of difficulties that Manhattan has had. And you know, you think everyone from there is moving to Texas. Everyone from here is moving to Florida. And not everyone. But those are the stories you read about the billionaire moving and you know taking his income tax with him to South Florida. It's it's an interesting time. So do you feel that uh, we're going to be okay? You think that New York of is course, still the greatest I think it's city. a great time to buy now. Mm-hmm. And I think in the next few years, I think, you know, rates are going to come down. People are going to move back. You know, you talk to people who moved to Florida. Yeah, it's great. January, February, March. The rest of the year, you know, whatever. They don't love it. And, you know, why is there, why is everything still out so exciting here in New York? Why is there still so much traffic? Why is every Broadway show sold out? Why are all the restaurants packed? Why, you know, Madison Square Garden, you know, obviously when the Knicks were uh, on the first round there, so exciting. You know, New York City is still the heartbeat of America, if not the world. The I new agree. Tiffany store is aligned to get into it on 57th and 5th. Yeah. There is so much exciting stuff in New York every single day. 
I love it. And one of my favorite guests, Dale Schlather from Cushman, said, you got to survive to five. Now it's like oh, really? exist to 26. Exactly. So, I mean, it's a great time to double down in New York City. Yes. I was so I think we're going to be fine. And I think that you've been very helpful. And okay. I'm, I'm listening to everything you say because you <laughs> are really in the now. And, and this isn't my company yeah. talking. This isn't my father talking. I, I, this I, is I, me as a regular New York City yes. broker. And we have a team of 20 people here in the city in South Florida and you know, the Hamptons. We've done better every single year as brokers. So we're got to be doing something right. Yeah, maybe this year there'll be some less transactions, but higher prices, which is more tricky for a broker. But we know where the values are. And yes, I work with all those people that every time they want to move to New York City, we want to live in the West Village or Soho, which right now are probably the most expensive parts of Manhattan where you can't get deals. But there's always a great opportunity in New York City for everyone. And thank you for sharing and being um, honest about that there's, there's deals right now in co-ops. Yeah. So if everybody's listening, you need to, let's get out there and-, yeah. and We're talking First Avenue, co-ops. York Avenue, yes. Park Avenue, Fifth mm-hmm. Avenue, at all spectrums. Yes. There are great deals. So, Michael, I'm going to, I, I ask all my guests, I end with the same question, and I, I'm trying to look at inspiration for the future. So if you're looking to hire a new agent, what advice do you give a new agent that's thinking about going into real estate? What do you tell them? How do you recruit them? And what advice right. can you give them? It's funny. I rarely recruit brokers, but they always come to me and they right. want to join our team. And, you know, I meet with these kids and they always say, I have 10 friends, each want to buy a $10 million apartment. I go, no, you don't. But those 10 people, you know, also know 10 other brokers. <laughs> so good luck getting the business. But I always tell everyone the most important thing and something I learned is research, is knowing the market. I wake up and I spend every morning on Street Easy, you know, looking at what's selling, what's being reduced in price, how many days on market. You have to know product your knowledge. product. You have to know your comps. You have to be an encyclopedia because there is so much transparency. Your clients know more than you now. Mm-hmm. You know, when early started in the business 20, 30 years ago, you look at the New York Times, you didn't know what something sold for. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, now you know everything. And the car market is funny, having that change now with online auctions, you know what cars are selling for. Now, for the past, whatever years, you know what every apartment sold for. And you have to know that. And you have to know everything because your client expects you and will question you. I could not agree with you more. It's product knowledge and some yes. salesmanship. And exactly. I think salesmanship you- doesn't hurt. And you don't want to be a cheese ball, but... You can be on a listing and be like, you know, the apartment below sold for $234,000 less and was on the market for, you know, 28 days longer than this has been on for so far. Like, you have to know that. I love it. And you, you've you been so fantastic. Thank you, yeah. Michael. Thank you for coming on the Miller Report. I would hope that anybody that is listening will download and subscribe to the Miller Report on WABC. Thank you, Michael Lorber. Dear listeners, thank you for coming on my podcast. If you like what you're listening to, please download, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much. Bye. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.